Hi, my name's Tara Humphrey and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast, where I will be sharing interviews and insights from the field of healthcare. The Business of Healthcare podcast is brought to you by THC Primary Care, where we provide operations and project management to primary care networks. If you are a clinical lead or a practice manager and your primary care network to-do list is growing by the minute and you could do with an extra pair of hands to deliver some of your projects and network-based services, I would absolutely love to help you. So come and check us out at www.thcprimarycare.co.uk. Now let's jump into this week's episode. Hi and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I hope you guys are doing well. So it is my absolute pleasure to bring you the first of two podcasts featuring Nicholas Kelly, who is the chairman and co-founder at the Accela Group. The Accela Group combines healthcare technology and social care. And at the time of recording is worth 5.1 million and they currently employ 1,200 people. Nick was a former RAF pilot and has worked for Apple and LinkedIn. So Nick co-founded this company with his mum and we had a lovely discussion about their working relationship and general relationship and their partnership today. And in this episode, you'll get to hear all about the Accela Group, what they're working on, some of the new developments that are in the pipeline and how Nick found himself in the world of social care, but also how he's managed to bring his love for technology and data and innovation into this industry. And you're going to absolutely love it. And I cannot wait to release episode two. So enjoy. And as always, if you like it, give us a shout out on social media, and it would be great if you could leave us an iTunes rating and review. And I will see you for episode two soon, featuring co-founder and chairman of the Accela Group, Nicholas Kelly. Hi, Nick. Thank you so much for joining me on the Business of Healthcare podcast. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks very much for having me on on this sunny Friday. Yeah, it's really nice. It's really nice. So I've been doing a little bit of research. You've got a huge, huge business. Tell my listeners a little bit about yourself and how the business got started. So the company's called Excella, which is my daughter's name backwards. Took a long while to get to that point. So what we are, we are, Excella is basically an umbrella for four different companies that all sit within the health and social care space. So we have two care agencies, one that predominantly works with social care and social social services and CCGs um, and local authorities and assisted living. We have one that purely only deals with private clients and those that are kind of need companionship and support. We also have a training company, which we train everyone up to healthcare assistants. We do, I mean, we work with our own care workers but others and we kind of built our own kind of recruitment platform that kind of brings in a a talent pool and then kind of what my background is and on top of kind of setting up care agencies is is technology so I've worked for some small and some large tech companies over in the past what I really want to do is find a way of marrying technology and healthcare together in a way that was purely kind of driven from the need not from a, oh, I've got this great idea, but actually what is really needed on the ground. And I think we're unique in that position where we are probably the only tech company doing building health tech in the UK that also has a care company and a care arm to fully fledge through that, that process. So, I mean, when we're testing, I've got however many care workers I have. I have how many staff. I've got service users. I've got local authorities that we're testing our product with and really interrogating it on a day-to-day basis. So why UAT testing isn't one or two people. It's actually, okay, we're in the field. There's no reception. I'm using an, an iPhone from 16, six years ago and I'm, I'm basically hanging out the window. Does it work? I mean, that, that sort of testing process is huge. And kind of how I got into this was I was in the military, had a, a mobile accident, which I got a medical discharge. And my mother's 
always been in care. So she, my, my mum kind of started working in care when she was around 19 years old and kind of always been around that space. So, I mean, going with her and sitting outside someone's door and sitting on a doorstep while she's doing a care visit kind of gave me an awakening and experience to this industry. And kind of around 2006, she'd been working for this company called Bupa, who, I mean, who Bupa owned, owned Goldsborough Home Care and Anchor Home Care, which was, I mean, at that time, I think were probably the largest provider of care in the UK, if not the world, was at the point where she just wanted a new challenge and just didn't feel like she was being valued enough. So she'd built, I think, a branch from from zero to turn up doing something like 16, 17,000 hours and was actually one of the largest branches they had in the UK. And actually, I think her branch was larger than all the other branches they had in London put together. So I think what I said to her, we sat down one evening and I said, look, you're doing all this hard work for someone else. Why don't you just do it for yourself? And she said, oh, look, I, look, that's fine and good, but what happens if it goes wrong? And I said, yeah, what happens if it goes wrong? It's like, well, you know, it fails and I've got, I've got bills to pay. And I just went, it's not the first time we've had bills to pay. It's not the first time we've been broke. We can do it. We can, we can make it work. How old were you when you said this to your mum? I think I was in my early 20s. I think I was 21, 22. My mom and I have always had a really close relationship and we're we're pretty pretty straightforward and honest with each each other. And to an extent, we do make, some will say snide comments, but we make comments where the other person has to say, look, you're right, I can't really say much. And I can't really, if I go into too much personal details, it'll be a little bit awkward, but we've got a really close relationship. And I said, look, if you're going to do this, I'm going to do this with you and we're going to, we're going to make this work. So I remember actually sitting in an all bar one with a friend of mine and, and going, right, I'm going to sketch out the logo. And I sketched out the logo on the back of a, of a napkin in an all bar one in Notting Hill. And I was like, right, that's it. So we've got the logo, we've got the brand. And then, then I took a piece of, I took the back of the menu and I did the branding. I was like, yeah, all right. I'm happy with this. Let's get it done. And we literally set the company up the next day. We rented an office space um, and the office was, it was honestly, I think it's about the size of my toilet. And I mean, it was the smallest space we could afford. And it was, we had it where you could sit and sit at a desk, but you couldn't open a door and sit at a <laughs> desk. So you kind of had to kind of like go in and sort of jimmy yourself as you, know, as you went yeah. in. And I said, we had, a, we had a computer that you basically turned on. And if you turned it off, you had to wait best part of the day for it to turn back on again so you and then like the leak the roof because it was so cheap i definitely think we might have been in a broom cupboard hundreds now thinking about it we probably were in a broom cupboard because it was like a leaking the roof was leaking that was kind of like just dripping on the side of the computer we had to like put a bucket there to hold it where was this so this was in labrick grove just off the back of um i think it was i think it was bus based studios i don't know if they're still around now so we and we said okay let's let's do recruitment so we had to recruit care workers because actually i mean as we all i don't know if anyone knows about kind of recruiting sorry social care to to get onto cqc framework you have to do care work but to do care work you have to be registered with cqc and it's a weird little cycle where you have to find a way of getting in but it's ridiculously hard to get in so we so we said how do you get in well what we did was we did care work not care work so we we did cleaning so we went in me and my mom we did some cleaning work then I realized that cleaning wasn't for me and that's not in any way, but just wasn't for me. So there was cleaning and then she called out to all, every last person she knew and, and tried to reach out to all of her contacts. And I think we got one private customer who we referred to. And then luckily enough, I think when she left, because when she left, she didn't actually, you know, she had a contract, so she didn't take anyone with her. But two or two, two or three of her of her service users that she'd been looking after for you know, ten odd years realized she'd left and said, "That's it. Wherever you're going, I'm coming with you." And left. And we've we've still got the same first two service users are still with us, and the first two care workers that we recruited back in 2006 are still with us at, and today. So they, we've had, yeah, which is strange for 14 years to have the same the first two people that walk through the door and the first two people that we actually delivered care for. And then how, we kind of. How big are you now? We are sizable. Well, just don't beat around the bush. <laughs> I think we're currently on around eleven, twelve thousand hours of care a week. Okay. So that puts us. I'd say that puts us in the medium category. But what 
what's kind of unique about that is we are completely independent. We don't have, as I said to you before, we don't have a bank overdraft. We, we literally have nothing. So it's 100% us. Well, I say us. It's 100% me because I bought my mum out three years ago. Wow. Um, as she put it, I'm an only child and I don't play nicely with other people. <laughs> That's so what I was going to say to you, like, what's it like working with your mum? Did you buy her out or did she leave you and say, cough up? She, I brought her out because I, because I, I think at that point we were going through a transition. I thought, do you know, what? you've done, you've got to a really great point now, and I think it's time for you to take a step back and go and relax and and enjoy your time. And, Did you sack your mum? I didn't sack her. I, I said it's time for you to go and do something. Just relax. You've worked really hard for for a lo- large proportion of your life. Go go relax and have fun. Just like, I'm doing this and, for you, not for me. Yeah, you relax. You that sounds it. that sounds really bad when you say it like that. But it wasn't like that. It was like you've earned it. Go relax. And <laughs> now she she doesn't. She just she seems to not want to leave. She's currently <laughs> she's she, you know I mean she's she still works. She's worked every day through COVID when everyone was working from home she according to her her computer broke and i'm using air quotes here her computer broke and the only way it can work is by being in the office i know for sure that's a lie because i set up her computer and we have an it uh, separate it company that we work with that are on staff and they said her computer is working fine so her reasoning was she had to be in the office every day and that was including the weekends but what i found out was so she works very closely with say the social care social services and ccg which is kind of she's had that relationship with and her reasoning is if her equivalent in CCG and social services are working in the office, then she should be in the office. If the care workers are working out in the field, then she should be there because inevitably if something happens or if the care workers need to see somebody, there has to be a presence in the office. And I think that's a kind of a testament to why we've got, I mean, such a low churn rate of staff. I think we're at like five or 6% is our overall turnover of staff in an industry where there's, I mean, upwards of 30%. And it's because they know that she is on call all the time. She is, she is literally a presence in the corner of the office every day and is never not there. If she's not there, they, you know she's not there. If I had have known this, I would have had you both on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, I'm like kicking myself. We'll do another one with her. I'll get like, she, he said, she said. She's been, she's been listening to, she listened to the last, the last kind of, I did a, a kind of a, a talk with somebody before and, and I said, some, I said this kind of a bit of this to her and she heard it and she was like, yeah, that's complete spot on. I'm so proud of what you've achieved. And I was like, well, no, what you've achieved. And I've just kind of leveraged that to, to build on top of it. So that's kind of how I got into, into social care. And then kind of after setting it up, I decided I needed to go back to doing something a little bit more creative, so to speak. So I kind of went off and I was working at, you know, when I worked at AKQA, I went and worked at LPI and then i one of my mentors at that time brought me in and introduced me to Unilever and Unilever created a role for me, which was amazing, which was kind of building all their digital systems and rolling out country websites and doing integrations, which was amazing. Then I got poached to go work at Apple, which was amazing for the time I was there for. And then it was stressful because it, it, it was so high pressured, but I loved it. More high pressured so, than running a multi-million pound organization with free arms yes yes there is there is there is a point i think there was a point at sort of three thirty, four o'clock in the morning a.m that i was working trying to roll out the uk countryside with i think i had 20 odd developers sitting there trying to get it done within sort of we had sort of 24 hours before the final deadline and we had probably about 60 percent of the site still to build and it was just I kind of looked around and was like, I don't know if we're going to do this. How are we going to, how are we going to get, we did it. And we, I think to, to record at that point, we were the only ones that had ever finished two days ahead of time, every last piece that we'd been asked to do. Everyone else had always kind of descaled. And I was like, no, you've asked me to do this. That's a challenge. I'm going to take it on. So then that was great. And then I left, I left there and went to LinkedIn and, and I was, was meant to be at LinkedIn for sort of a couple of weeks. I think it was only meant to be a six week stint. I'm not sure if they forgot that I was still there, but three and, three and a half, three and a half late years later, I thought, I think I'm done. I was going to be here for six weeks. I've been here for three and a half years. What did I think you do I've done then? what I can do. 
So I was an API integration consultant for LinkedIn. So I basically worked with third-party companies that wanted to use the LinkedIn API or use LinkedIn data to create solutions. So one was, I mean, Capgemini was using it to create a resource library for all their staff, which was pulling in news stories, which was pulling in um, people that they might know. So kind of creating like this secondary hub outside of LinkedIn, using all the LinkedIn data and their own data to create this one piece. So that was so that kind of was really interesting, and that kind of sat into a lot of things that I've been doing over the years. But it was the first time where I'd had the resource to be able to really hammer in and and, and do that. So can I um, just ask, how did you get from the army into tech? I've always loved technology and innovation, and I've always loved making things. So I've always so my kind of I did an industrial design degree, and I've always loved making things from nothing i was like and I, it sounds really like a cliche but i was that kid that was at home pulling apart things and working out if i put if i put this wire and this wire together can i make two monitors out of this one circuit board no you can't it blows up but just so you know <laughs> you can't do that but i'm i'm very much but i'm very and then i i think I remember leaving primary school and as we left primary school we went from having do you remember those big floppy disks that were about yay big I don't know if you remember those. How old remember them? you? I was born in the early 80s. Um, do you remember floppy disks? So about this big. But you had to put them in. You had to turn the little, the little lock and the screen was green. So. How old are you that you can't remember that? <laughs> wait, oh, wait, how old am I? <laughs> <laughs> We're the same. We're the same. But I, I was like playing sports. I wasn't trying to work out whether one monitor plugged into another one made one. Like, I was good at sports. I was, I was good playing. At sports. <laughs> I was, no, no, but it was like so you, you'd have to put it put it in i remember when we first got it, it was like this is this is thing called windows and i was like and it was windows when you first launched windows back in the 80s was it was an actual window box with a windows screen and i was like this is going to be the future so i then spent time trying to learn it and i, and I, I mean i think i pestered my mom for about as long as she can and she definitely looking back at it that definitely probably would have been at least a couple of months worth of um, food but she spent everything we could to buy me this computer and I remember I spent one night just going deeper and deeper into trying to learn code and just really and, and that was kind of for me was just I love going down rabbit holes when I'm like when I'm learning and I love working at night so I'm working I work now until sort of two three o'clock in the morning and I'm up at sort of six seven o'clock and you mean taking the kids and stuff like that to nursery but at that time at night it's kind of where I really kind of just focus in headphones on and i'm just cracking on and trying to find things i definitely know i've by playing on the, on the net on the internet i found places i shouldn't be and then decided to sell that machine real quickly the next day just in case anyone comes looking but anyway so yeah so oh, no, hang on hang on <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we're going to take a quick sidestep completely we <laughs> might come back to that but i'm not incriminating myself in any way shape or form because <laughs> that would just be straight out of stupidity. Um, so I, I've always loved technology, and I've always loved we'll the way that, that you we'll can pick that up later. <laughs> yeah, how you can how you can apply technology to practical cases. So when I kind of I remember at LinkedIn, I was applying for a new role, and I can't remember what the role was, but I was trying to move to a new team. And at this this was the time when I was like, actually, I really like this. I was I was drinking the LinkedIn Kool Aid really really hard at this point, and I was like, I want to go. I want to apply for another role, and I applied for the role, and I was doing an interview. And they said, okay, what's your greatest achievement? And I went, well, actually, I think my, my greatest achievement over the last couple of years is, is building one of the largest independent care agencies in London. And they went, oh, we thought you were going to talk about something here. And I was like, yeah, it's kind of stuff I do. In, you know, I mean, I can do this without breaking a sweat. But have you ever tried, you know, I mean, trying to find multiple contracts running, you know, I mean, 200, 300, 400 plus staff across multiple regions, trying to bring technology in, trying to, like manage that that's that's really difficult and then I remember going into um we had a training session at this point they just bought this American company not going to say the name of it but they just bought this American company and they were coming over to the UK and this American company was basically putting a pixel on your website and it was able to track you track your online presence which was something I mean I'd built a decade ago for a previous client but they were like, great, we're going we're gonna to do this. And I remember in a training session, they had this, this American guy. I mean, think of your typical American guy. And he was like, right, you know, they're not buying a pixel. They're not buying, they're not buying user data. They're buying oxygen. If they don't have this, they're going to die. They, don't, they need this. This is what they need because their business is going to fail. Other businesses are going to take over. This is the best thing they've ever seen. 
bar none, this is the one thing that is going to make their business succeed and fail over the next decade. They have to buy this. And I went, yep, I'm out. I'm done. This isn't for me. Luckily enough, about six months after I left, the product got sunsetted, which means they basically was like, yeah, this isn't working. Cut it. Um, cut our losses and walk away. And at that point, I, I just thought, I need to do something that I feel proud of. I need to do something that I know that I'm making a difference. I can go to sleep and wake up at night and still feel passionate and 100%, even though the day before might have knocked me, I've got a whole new challenge that next day. How so yeah, that's... Your, your day looks like? What's... Yeah, what does your day... What does your day look like yesterday? So my day... So I kind of... My day starts around six-ish, six o'clock in the morning. So I've got a two-and-a-half-year-old and a, a four... I think she's four and a half now, and a four and a half year old. So my day starts starts at six in the morning with both of them jumping in bed, kicking me out because my four and a half year old has always been since she was she can walk, been just been like get out, daddy. Just this is my space. So I have to. So I get up. So I'm up. I shower. I make make them breakfast, and then I'm out, kind of doing a bit of sounds really like a cliche, but I do a little bit of yoga. Then I've got. I kind of, <laughs> it does sound like cliche. And I then, I kind of walk around and the garden. I have my green juice and then I, I meditate. That's what my, that's what my mom does. She's kind of does the green juice and meditate. I've kind of just had our, we just had our garden kind of redone um, by this amazing design company called Kinlan Design. So we've, so I basically spend the time watering the garden and pruning the garden every morning while listening to say a podcast or kind of listen to things from the day before. So that kind of takes up sort of half an hour, 45 minutes. And that's kind of 45 minutes of me just shutting down and working out what I'm going to do that next day. And then that kind of takes me up to seven. So I have a shower, take them to nursery and I'm back. And I kind of start around sort of eight, eight thirty. And what I'll do is, so my house kind of backs onto this amazing park slash forest. So my first call normally starts around eight o'clock in the morning. And that's normally headphones in. A sort of a, a 45 minutes, a couple of laps around into the forest and back while taking a call back and at my desk and then I'm, I'm at my desk. I also do intermittent fasting. So I kind of, I'm only, only in a short window. So I kind of do six hours of eating. So I basically do everything until 12, one o'clock, take a break for sort of half an hour, have, I mean, first bit of food, anything, any calories, and then set myself up for the afternoon. And around four at five o'clock, I'll stop for, for a couple of hours. I'll make dinner for my wife and the kids. I'll play with them, annoy the hell out of them as much as I can. We watch Gojetters because, don't ask, it's the only program I actually seem to be able to watch with them. That's not terrible. I don't get Paw Patrol. I don't understand how this kid who is meant to be 11 years old has more equipment than even Batman. Um, <laughs> just weird. Then I'll basically stop hang out for hang out with my wife for a bit and then she kind of drops off and kind of does goes and does a reading at around nine o'clock and then I will start working again from say 10 till two so on top of kind of having these companies in the UK we also work quite closely we've got an investment we've kind of set up a company based in Brazil that we're working with um invest in a company in Brazil called Happy Help who it's a bartering system it's a very simple bartering system what they do so we kind of so I do a little bit of testing I work with them and then also we've got interest in California so it's kind of switching on at that time. And then around one o'clock is where I love to kind of do my, my heavy lifting, where I kind of start doing my bits, where I'm starting to learn and, and put things together. So that next hour or two is kind of my learning time. And then I kind of slip into bed, read the news and fall asleep about two-ish. So what's it like, I suppose I should ask your wife this, <laughs> being married to the CEO of this business that's got so many avenues and there's lots I said to you before we went we started press and record like I see you lots in marketing you know like you you're doing a lot what's it like being married to you I think well you'd have to definitely answer that <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't want to I think she she puts it puts me down as an over functional functioning individual so I can't that sit still so I think the other week I we had something in the garden and I wanted a tree taken down and I called the garden the garden's like, okay, it'll take me a couple of days to come, maybe about a week. And I went, okay. So I just went out and bought an ax and cut the tree down and did it myself. And, and, and it's kind of, and it's, it's that, that I, it's the way that works. So if something needs to be done, I have to get it done. And it's kind of, I need to get it done now. So I will, I will work until I can get it done. And I'm constantly doing that. So, I mean, I rarely kind of sit down and I'm, and I'm really just taking it easy. So I, I mean, that's why I do, I do all the cooking, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to learn there and I'm moving around and I'm 
tidying things i'm doing this and on top of this i'm still running the company so i'm still having calls last night i was doing two calls while also cooking dinner and sending and then basically like writing down some notes and, and prepping for this so it's kind of i've always been this way i think even from the day we met i've always kind of had been doing a lot and it was i was doing a lot and i think the other day she was like you do seem to do a lot at what point are you thinking of slowing down and i was like how old's your dad? And she goes, oh, he's, he's in his seventies. I was like, yeah, and he's still doing a lot, isn't he? She went, yeah. And I was like, yeah. So let's not let's not start throwing <laughs> let's not let's not start throwing you know stones at, at me to slow down. Yeah. And even even my mom, she I think I called her up. So I did a I had a quick call with her, and, and we we as much as working together, we also I think I speak to her probably about five or six times a day. The conversations range from a good half an hour call in the morning to a two minute call or even a 10 second. Hey, can you just do this? Yeah, that's fine. Hang up. And I called her and I was like, I'm really, I'm actually quite tired today because I've, I've been, the last week has been really full on with everything that's going on because we, you know, we just launched some new stuff and we've, we've got some new clients coming on board and we're having this, some really great conversations in South Africa. I'm like, I'm really tired. She goes, do you know what? Why don't you just take a nap? And I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, yeah, just, just, just take a nap on a sofa. No one will know. And I was like, no, that's, that's not. And then it, and it kind of is weird. I was like, that's not advice. I don't that understand business... what you're saying. Yeah. That's kind of like no advice a business partner should give. And I was like, actually, that's an advice a mother would give. And you're just like, yeah, but I know for sure. If I, if I tell you, I've just taken a nap, you're going to find some way of coming back at me for, for, for sleeping in the middle of the day. So no, I won't do that. Okay. So you said, when there's something that needs to be done, like I like to get it done straight away. Yeah. So when thinking about your work and social care and healthcare, what is something that you guys are working on that needs to be done straight away? Without the kind of plug to the technology side of it, the thing that we've been working on and actually how, how we really started building the tech side of it was, I mean, myself and my, sort of my business partner at that, that time, Martin, he, which was working, he was what we were working together in, in respect and Excel. We realized that there was no single place for health and social care data on an individual. There was, I mean, each company had their own siloed inf- information. Hospitals had their own siloed information. GPs and doctor surgeries had that. So for us, the thing we really wanted to do was I wanted to see the whole picture of that individual and actually work out how to support that individual. So we went through this procurement process and actually one, what we realized was everything was being shoehorned into this industry. So no one was really creating technology from the user need perspective. It was, was, oh, I've got this piece of kit that we can give you in healthcare. And we even tried, the first thing we tried to do, we tried to bring a HR system. So our HR was, let's call it, you know, what everyone else does is a filing cabinet. Everyone says they've got a HR system. What you've got is a basically a filing system with people's folders. So we wanted to move the HR system from being a paper-based to a web-based. And we did a massive, you know, we searched high and wide. And we, we found one company in America who were cost-effective. And I say cost-effective because actually they were considerably cheaper than, I think they were, they were two pounds when the closest UK company were 15 pounds per person. And I just went, that's ridiculous. And actually you don't even meet the need. Why is it ridiculous? I think... <laughs> 15 pounds over two pounds, I think is ridiculous per person. I think that's, I think it's cheaper, always better. If I was going to procure some care and this wasn't care, this was, but, uh, but the same principle could be applied that cheap is not always better. No. So in, in, in this instance, that's kind of where we got to the point was cheaper. Isn't always better, but what we were getting from the actual U S one was actually far superior to the UK one. So what we were getting from the US was, was the ability to analyze the data, was the ability to pull out reports really, really quickly. The UK one was, oh, if you want to report, you've got to, that's an, that's an add-on. Oh, if you want to do X, it's an add-on. And was, so when we worked it out, it was, I think that was going to come to something like 90,000 a year just for this one system. This was going to come to, I think it was like 40. So it was a fraction of that. And we thought, well, actually, neither of them did. Was that, So the biggest thing from a healthcare perspective is DBSs, is visas. I mean, if you're working in social care, you have to keep those three things have to be kept on point. And we spoke to both companies and they both said, look, we could customize it, but actually it's not really what our bag was. So we just sat down and went, why don't we just build our own? And actually, yes, what we, we should do is build our own and build it from the need of what does a care agency or care home need? 
and what do they need to what do they need to show to CQC? What do they need to show to the government? What do they need to show to everyone? And build it from what is needed, and then scale the system up. So yes, oh, it's great if you can have you know policies in the system, but is that a need? No, actually, what you need to do is be able to track your visas, track your documentation, track your training, track your onboarding of all your stuff. So let's build it from that upwards. So. I want to say it took us months and months of scoping and working out and interviews and everything and back and forwards. It didn't um, because we work quite well together um, and me and him would work you know, over, the, over the years. So we basically, I think we scoped it out over a really long weekend of exactly what we wanted to do. And then we then wireframed it and designed it. And I think we had it built within, I think the total build was probably about three months from from start to finish and we we're, we're now still using it we now have i think we've got 10 customers using the system and this was a system that we you know we created because we we created it from the need and we would say what does a care agency need and that's and i think that then so then when we started looking at how we build a new system which was the kind of the connected health platform we went okay what do does the care worker need what does the service user need what does a care agency need what does every mdt person that's looking after that person need to see not oh well we've got this idea and we've got this and we're going to push it down and we're going to we're bringing in all these forms and all these bits okay let's do it that but also let's make it really really simple let's make it really really clean and one of the things in our on our system we don't have we don't have a search results page what we have is a smart search bar where you basically type in a question and it brings up, it brings you back a result based on what you've asked it to do, and it starts to learn over time of what roughly what you're going to be asking to bring it. But we thought if all you were doing was doing a search, I mean, you're never going to go, hmm, I want to see Nicholas. Okay, here are 300 Nicholases you look after. Now, which one do I need? To, you're not going to need that. You're going to know who you want to see. And in most cases, when you're looking at uh, looking at files, you want to know a specific thing. So I want to see, I want to see Nicholas's care plan. This is it. Okay, this is how I see that. Instead of having to go through, because you know to be, you, all you're doing, if you're putting everything on a search results page over a period of time of six, seven years of holding results, all you're doing is you're searching for just latency information. So we wanted to really hone in and focus on that. So we took all that time and that knowledge and really, really built it. And as I said, I think before we start recording, I think we are unique in that position where we are probably the only technology company that actually has a care arm that actually can that actually delivers care on a day-to-day basis to that volume and actually the product was a build out from a care need upwards more so than oh we've got technology technology thing we've got this technology piece that we like oh well should we buy a care agency to put it into it was what do we need and bring it up so it's slightly different but you should speak to a lady called rachel crook who is the ceo of a company called lifted They've got a tech platform and they provide care at home. You should speak mm-hmm. to her. So are other care agencies purchasing that? Yeah. So they are. And I think the big thing for our, from our system is it's the ability for, for it to learn what's going on with your service because everything sits in, in this kind of all on the one, well, I say on the one roof, but it all sits inside of one system. So you've got HR in there, you've got diagnosis in there you've got all the information on service users and, and everything that you mean everyone you're looking after and i use the word service user more than say patient because i think patient and stuff like that has their own connotations but what it's then doing is it's analyzing the data that sits within it's analyzing your staff and what it's trying to do is tell you where there's a problem and what we're trying to do is, is get it to learn enough and feed in yeah, we're trying to feed in data into the system. So inevitably what it does is it learns what's going on right now, not just with your service, but other services similar to you, and then tries to support and make small suggestions for you to do. So if all the services in your area are now taking on more patients with dementia and only 3% of your service, your care staff have dementia training, this is for example, because I know everyone has to, it will then say, look, right now there seems to be a high increase in dementia but you only have a small amount of staff that are available to do that. You should now potentially start training up more staff. And we kind of used it in a sense that we, we didn't really realize it, but we were doing more and more reablement care, but actually only a small amount of our staff are specifically trained on reablement. So reablement is a, is something that they do, but it's a very different mindset from going in doing continuing care to doing reablement. So the system actually said you should train up more staff to do reablement. And luckily enough, it was, we kind of did that and then we had an instance where a council we worked with said look we want to give you a reablement contract 
can you tell us how many of your staff are specifically trained for enablement and can we see your training plan and was like got that got that here you go but it was because we saw it coming from somewhere else and then we then kind of did that did that groundwork and said okay let's let's use this intelligence to see what we're doing and then that was kind of a let's call it a stopgap version of the product which is kind of what's being used now what we then built out and we were really really passionate about was there isn't a, a single unified place that holds all your health and social care information that you control that you can that you can that is portable and that's kind of what we wanted to create with care id was we wanted to create a single place for all your health and social care information that you can access that is also portable so when you go on holiday you're not going on holiday and then coming back and that doctor on holiday doesn't know what you are they don't know what medication you're on you don't even know what medication you're on in that country you can go and show them and say right this is what i'm on or you can speak to a uk doctor you can say right this is what you're on. This is your covenant in that environment. How's that different from coordinate my care? It's different in the sense that this isn't just about someone that's receiving care. This is you. You can be a healthy individual. You could be in, in, in care. This is you having access to all of that, pulling all everything into one place. So it's pulling in wearable information. It's pulling in user general information. It then also has this amazing piece of machine learning that I'm definitely not smart enough to have built. Um, so let me just cover that off. Uh, someone much, much, much smarter than me built it. And what it's trying to do is it's learn, it's learning about what conditions and, and what is normal for you and makes suggestions based on that. So we've kind of got fitness in there. We've got food um, in there. We've got nutrition in there. And it's really key. What it's trying to do is trying to be, it's going to sound weird, but it's, it's trying to be your, a healthcare assistant in your pocket. There are so many conditions and things that could be reversed with early intervention, with knowledge, with experience, and actually speaking to somebody in a language that they understand, but also by, yeah. And that's what it's trying to do. It's trying to take all of that information and hold it and actually give it back to you in a way that you feel that you're part of your, your own healthcare journey. And I mean, even I was trying to argue with my, argue is a strong word actually, I was having a discussion with my wife and saying, this is why I think I'm so passionate about you as an individual owning your data, but you have to take the data from the community and give that to a physician to be able to make the best informed decision of you. Being an ethnic minority as well, the data and information that's pretty much out there isn't based on me. It's based on even a white European male. It's based on this person. It's based on that. It's it's not based around me. Can you give me an example of that? What do you mean? So, so for example, uh, Afro-Caribbeans are more susceptible to diabetes than, well, actually, no, no, it doesn't say Afro-Caribbean. Black people are more susceptible to diabetes, but actually you then lump everyone into it. So I go, oh crap, I'm more susceptible to diabetes. Well, actually, when you, when you split it down, it's actually Afro-Caribbeans are more susceptible than say Africans. And it's purely down to a diet and an exercise and, and, and things like that. But you kind of start lumping everyone in and you start okay. hearing, hearing the fear factors and you start concerning. You mean like, you mean black people are more susceptible to or to have sickle cell? Again, I might be wrong on that. So please, whoever's listening, don't call me up and say, you're wrong. Everyone's susceptible to sickle cell. But we are. But you automatically think, well, that's a problem. Should I be concerned about that? Well, actually, it's not. It's, it's a very small set that's, that has that. And it, you kind of start lumping everyone and everything into this. And what I want to do is go okay if you can understand who i am from a medical perspective you can go from being reactive to being proactive and delivering care that's proactive to me which yes you might go okay there's that's that's a really great pipe dream but the costs from a proactive care perspective are going to be considerably lower than the long-term reactive care costs so the example we give is is a stroke so if you've got if you've had an iat you're was it 40 percent more likely to have a stroke within 24 hours yeah. In most cases, most people have that. I think something like 40% of people have a stroke in their sleep or when they're out and about. In most cases, they don't know where the local, local A&E is, where the local stroke unit is. And actually, as much as we've done so many adverts, most people do not know the four, the four signs to look for and actually what to do in that instance. The same, same the worst one as a sidestep is if someone is about to fall, so someone's passing out, what most people do is try and hold them and hold them up don't do that let them fall gently on the floor and lay them flat because actually if you're holding somebody up all the blood is now just rushed away from them holding someone up when they're when they're passing out is not a good thing to do and even though there's a whole lot of information saying don't hold somebody up if they're falling 
someone goes to fall and as a human instinct, your first thing is to do is to hold them up and try and catch them and hold them and make sure they're okay. But what you're actually doing is going, is stopping oxygen from getting back to the brain and actually causing them probably long-term effects. So kind of going back to the the stroke thing, if you then you kind of look at all the long-term, the cost of a lot of of a stroke and the fact that in, was it 40 or 50% of cases, people have a reoccurrence of stroke and it, is because 70% of people that are released from hospital do not have a care plan put in place or have enough information put in place to support them with, with their stroke. So you think, oh, I've had it, it's fine. By putting a care plan in place, by being proactive, by actually then going, okay, let's monitor that person in the community, and if we see something else happening or any markers coming, why don't we get them back in and look after them? You've got this four-hour golden window. With that four, If you're monitoring that person already, could you not triage that person? This is me giving you a, a, a hypothetical, but this is what we're working on. But could you not see the IAT happening? Could you not pre-book or pre or triage that person into hospital? So the hospital gets, they know exactly what's been happening with that person the last 24, 48 hours. They know exactly who that person is. So they know who that person is from I mean, your medical records, all your information, all the conditions you have, what medication you're currently taking, what you've eaten, how much exercise you've done, who you mean who you are from a family perspective. So now all that information is sent to the hospital. You might go, but that might, you might get multitude of false of those false readings. That's fine. But you've now pre-booked me. So now I now have, I now know that you think there's something wrong. I'm not telling you you've had an IT. I'm saying based on what I'm seeing from the ECG or from, or from the data, we think something's happened. And these are your local hospitals. And these are hospitals. We think these are your local hospitals around you because you might be at home or you might be traveling. When I moved house, I didn't even know where my, my local hospitals, I had to look online when my daughter was, one and i was looking after her um we had a incident and it i had to follow an ambulance to find out where the local hospital was because i was at my in-laws and i couldn't i was trying to drive the sat nav wasn't the sat nav wasn't showing because it was a new hospital so it wasn't showing up on a sat nav so i had to basically follow an ambulance to get back to the hospital so there are all these i mean and these are things when you're panicking things can like this can happen and if you kind of then do all of those things there, that individual, so that individual gets into hospital, they're seen within four hours. You know exactly what's going on with that individual. That individual then has a care plan because you're not reacting. You're proactive. So you know that person's going to come in with that. So you can so, start pre-building a, a care plan for them. So where is this care plan? Is it on their phone? Is it an app? It's on their phone. So it's all sits within, it sits within the one app. So they, when they come out, they have a care plan in place. And because you've got, we're connecting wearables and I mean, we've got heart rate monitors, we've got this amazing product from this Korean company called Wellis, which is called the S-Patch. You're able to connect all these devices, these medical devices and even consumer devices into the app to start tracking that data and that information once you've left. So, so everyone is a part of that care pathway. So if this product is out and organizations are using it, what is this? Not this, not this piece at the moment. Everyone's using the other side. So this is the bit where we're kind of really, really honing in on at the moment. Some people, an article was released about the potential for the NHS to take on the social care budget. What are your views on that? Because what you've just described sounds amazing. It sounds like there is clearly a need. It's from a primary care perspective and from an education perspective, we've been talking about things like this for a very, very, very long time. So there seems like that seems like a logical and innovative solution to a really growing need. You are in social care and you're going to need the NHS. You're going to need secondary care. You're going to need lots of organizations to get on board. Otherwise, I'm going to be this person with an app. And I'm going to get to the hospital and I'm going to go like, look, and they're going to be like, I don't care. Let me take your medical history. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So talk to me about how you felt and what was your initial reaction when you saw that article released? So was this the article and then followed slight, well, coinciding with the prime minister saying that he thinks it should go under one. So just to kind of finish on the app itself. I fundamentally, and I know some people have said, oh, what about, you mean, data protection and stuff like that? I fundamentally believe in you owning your data and all of your data. You mean, you don't, no one has access to your emails realistically or your bank details. You own that and you're just picking a service that best delivers that for you at that time, right? So why shouldn't you own your own healthcare data? Why should, so what we built in is a tiered access and a tiered system. And actually, why should one company profit from your data? Why shouldn't you profit from that data? So why not? Why can't I give 
some of my, my non-binary information or my non-user you mean specific information to a research company and I get paid for that. Why can't I give some of my, I mean, my last batch of running results to a fitness company and get paid for that? And I'm not saying let's make it, make monetize everything, but let's be honest, someone is already taking your healthcare data and profiting from it and, and selling it. So why shouldn't you, why shouldn't you kind of get, be a part of that? And I think the innocence of people to say, well, no, no one's, no one's selling my data. They are. Because actually, you can go and buy research data. You can, go, and, and that's fine. And yes, you've taken out and, and all the anomalies. But we know what happened with Cambridge Analytica when they were actually bought data and they were able to work out who people were because the data wasn't anonymized enough. Back to your question, and that was a sort of a segue, but back to your question around, around it. I fundamentally believe that health and social care shouldn't be seen as two separate entities. For me, it's care. Call it healthcare, call it social care, whatever you want to be, it's care. It's how, how do I interact with you to deliver the best level of care that you need right now? So at this point in time, I need to see a GP. That's the care I need. At this point, I'm in, a, I'm in hospital. That's the care I need. At this point, I'm now slightly older and, I'm, and I need home care. That's the care I need. I'm even older and I'm in a care home. That's the care. It shouldn't be seen as these two separate entities. It shouldn't be seen as two sides of a fence because actually you get people that go, oh, you know, GPs and doctors study for years and years and years and, and yada, yada, yada. A care worker or, or family member, but a care worker, let's say that, knows more about an individual than say potentially a doctor does. They see that individual a lot more than a doctor will. So I mean, a care worker, I can even look right now, a care worker has seen somebody for seven hours today. They're going to see them for, you mean, how many hours that is in a week and a, and a year? How many hours do you think that GP is going to see them? And if every time you go into the GP, the GP is constantly having to ask the same questions, you've got a 15 minute appointment or half an hour, five or 10 minutes of that is going to be asking questions. Five minutes of that is going to be writing whatever prescription you need. And you're only going to speak to them for five minutes, right? So I five minutes. say one. that there's going to be GPs listening to this thinking, I wish I had a half an hour appointment. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, 15, it's, it's, it's 15 minutes. It's 10. Is it 10? Wow, it's even less than I thought. I get 15 minutes at my GP. My GP is good then. But like they're, they're time precious and I appreciate that. So what, what we're trying to do here is I appreciate GPs and doctors are time precious. So let's give them all the information they need to do what they, they best can. I'm not, it, I, G, we need GPs, we need doctors, but let's give them that information because people can't remember everything. And I gave them that, the, the, the kind of situation... If you think a GP knows more about you than, than even you know about yourself, go, to your, go, go see your GP, sit down for that 15-minute appointment, answer no questions, tell them no information, and then at the end of it say, so what's wrong with me? The GP is going to go, well, you haven't told me anything. I can't diagnose something you haven't given me any information about. So you have to give all that information. So why, why kind of only give a snippet of going, well, I woke up this morning and my back was hurting, or two days ago my back was hurting and I'm, and I'm feeling a bit tired. It's fine. Well, actually, let's give you some, give me some context. Have you been away? Have you been eating anything different? Has your diet changed? Have you been seeing spots? You've got all these questions you should be asking. And, G, and I know GPs do it, but why don't you give them all that information? So when, when I'm going to see my GP, my GP goes, okay, Nicholas is coming in because he's got his left leg's hurting. But actually, five years ago, he had a knee operation because he, he broke or he tore the ligaments in his knee. But also, he's been, doing, he's been running a lot lately. And that seems a bit weird. And actually, he hasn't been eating that much fish. So actually, could that be something to do with it? Now you've seen all that information. So now I come in and they go, okay, you're saying your knee's hurting. Have you been feeling any other pains anywhere else? Because based on what I can see, I kind of think you might be over-exercising and actually causing a bit of problems. Why don't you slow down a little bit and take these supplements? Do you get clinical input into your technology and apps? That's where we're. That's kind of the bit we're we're working on now. So we're we're working with um, Emis to start bringing in the the clinical data, and we're working. We've got two two surgeons and a doctor on board um, that we brought on to kind of start helping us to really build that bit out. We, we as I said, we're we're still in the. We haven't fully released it because we're still in the very the early stages. But it's not because we we're not trying to rush to get something out. We think what we're trying to achieve here is could be huge but in a sense of it can really help and support a lot of people and change way, the way that people view their own health. So we want to take that time and energy to build the best system that we feel proud of and a system that we would like to use. And we know that other people would like to use. If we, I mean, we have to be our, our own advocates. I mean, we've got to be that person that takes the penicillin first. To ask around, so I'm not a clinician, obviously. Are you open to, 
for people to check and challenge you because all the things that you've said, I do agree with, but I know so many GPs and clinicians that will not just take, you know, I woke up and hurt my, you know, I woken up today and my back hurts, but we'll do that full consultation. And that I know GPs will say, yep, I don't see this patient for hours and hours and hours on end. But I do know that my daughter, my middle daughter's got nephrotic syndrome, who's a kidney disorder. Mm-hmm. I honestly feel like her consultant, and we see her less than once a year now because Layla's really stable. She does know Layla. She knows that she does gymnastics. She knows about our family mm-hmm. setup. She knows that I work. She knows what she likes. So I think that there'll be some clinicians thinking, I do agree with what you're saying, Nick. But actually, we are skilled clinicians and we know how to take a history. We know we do know our patients. We've yeah. been seeing them for years, admittedly, not in that concentrated time as a carer. What would you say to that? I don't want to get into the political ramifications of doctor bashing because that's in no, in no, no way. In, no. no, no. But what I'm, what I'm saying here is in no way, shape or form am I, again, it sounds a little bit bad after I was saying about the generalization of, of data. I'm not trying to generalize and say all doctors. I'm saying in that small instance. So I, I think my first interaction with the hospital was when I was seven years old and I got, I got run over. And then the person decided to reverse back over me because they thought it hit something and then drove off because they realized they hit a child and I was on the floor like twitching away. I know, right? And my kind of my, the, the leg was broken in two places and the actual, whatever the ball and socket joint had popped out. So I spent best part of nine ten months in hospital interaction so that you mean so i've got a really good understanding of how a doctor can know you and actually i think we probably my i I know for sure i still have a doctor my mom's had the same doctor for 40 30 years not even sure how he's still practicing at that age but whatever (laughs) but she she literally must have got him day one when he started but she she's had the same doctor and he knows he i mean he he actually calls up and say look i think you need to come in and have an injection or you need to do this or have you done that and that's great on a flip side of that, and this is kind of how I know, like I've got kids now and, and I've got friends and we kind of did that canvas. I've got a couple of medical conditions. I went six years seeing in my old doctor surgery and even in, I saw two doctors in my new doctor surgery for the same thing. And then I went to see a pharmacist, which I was getting a medication and I was getting, um, I was getting my, my repeat prescription. And the pharmacist said, well, well, why are you taking this? You could just take that. The same doctor who said to me a week before, well, you're going to be on this medication for the rest of your life. And I was like, well, I don't want to be, but okay, fine. If that's what you think is going to make it better. I saw the pharmacist and the pharmacist said, actually, what you're taking is you don't even need to take this. You can do this and this is completely different. And then the next time I went to see the GP, the same G- the, the, the GP, I said, can I get a double appointment? But can I see a, another doctor that I haven't seen before? Cause I don't want to see that doctor. And cause the previous guy, when I saw him, the, the there are good and bad. And in most cases, you're going to get most of them are good. This one guy clearly was in a rush because as I said, it was one minute asking me a question, typing away into the computer. I think I was in and out within five minutes. When I saw the second GP, I explained to him what happened, what medication I'd been given and what I'd been doing. And he went, yeah, I feel like you've probably been misdiagnosed over time. What you should do is do this, this, and this. And then I'm going to give you this, but I don't, but only use it if you need to. And let's come, and then in about six months, let's come back and see what's happened. And actually, I came home, took that advice, and took the advice from him and the pharmacist. And actually, that condition is completely gone. And I haven't had a reoccurrence in 10 months of that. And it was because, and this was six years of having, I mean, I've had six or seven general anesthetic operations for this one thing that it took six years for somebody to say to me, all you have to do is do this, this, and this, and it's perfectly fine. And I think that's kind of where I'm not saying they're good or bad. What I'm saying is you have to put the data in front of that person. You have to give that, that person all that they can to be able to make the best decision that they can. And yes, GPs do know a lot about that person, but you know more about your daughter than your GP does, right? Yeah, you know, so they just went silent. They're just like, I, I think like, I do. I do I? <laughs> yeah. But you know about your daughter than your GP does, which means if you had, say, a nanny or an au pair, for example, because your daughter's probably Nick, don't know. I don't, we're not um, living in the same world. <laughs> I don't know. I, I look after my own kids. But like, say you had, if you had a nanny, that nanny would know more about your daughter than say someone else that hadn't, that wasn't interacting with of her on course. a day-to-day basis. And that's the argument here is 
you know more about you probably know about your, more about yourself than anybody else does. Your husband probably knows more about you than say your mother does right now, right? And your friends probably know more about you than say a colleague at work. All you're doing is, is going down that that grade, right? So that individual that is that is completely got cognitive capabilities probably knows more about themselves. Their care worker probably knows more about them. Their doctor knows more about them. Their family member that sees them maybe however often wherever they fit in might know about them. And then you go down that line. Why not use the data from all those data points to really inform on how to support that person to see the changes. If that person is constantly seeing a care worker and they're not seeing, they only see their doctor once or twice a year, or in most cases, even less, if the care worker can see the change, the gradual change, the, the spots, the memory loss, the aggression, all those things, why not use that information and that data to inform the next path on the decision tree? And all I'm saying is, it's not about then using the individual, it's using every bit of information you have, putting it into a, a centralized place, and then you can go, okay, I don't want to see that. that, that's pointless, let's look at this. But if you can take all that information coming in, and then realize later on down the line, that actually, there is a correlation between, I don't know, there's a correlation between losing your taste of smell and taste, and you might have COVID. Whereas right at the beginning, if it, it was what, there's a cough difficulty breathing and whatever the last one was but no one was saying oh what happens if you've got loss of the taste and smell well no that's not a symptom that's something else we actually we now know that is one of the major symptoms and you might not show you might be asymptomatic and not show any of these but you might literally just have your taste and smell gone and you you've got it so take the data in use it that you have that and then later on ask for it then later on down the line going well what we need to do now is track all of these things because we now know that's what it does and I met this really great company who, what they're doing is they're basically, they're buying data, um, DNA data from individuals because individuals were only, I mean, they were going out and getting a full spectrum of the test, but only using a few marker points and the rest of it has been thrown away. Where actually they realized that taking all the DNA data marker points will allow them to, to put together a stronger database that people can use. Okay. However... If we need to slice that because some doctors are really going to get get a little bit irate. You know, it I think, it, no, because the whole point it, of having a conversation is not, it's just to have the conversation, isn't it? It doesn't you know have what? to be... Um, I'd like someone to challenge me and I'd like someone to come back to me and say, no, as a GP, I know more about than, than you, than anyone else. That's fine. No, it's not that. It's just about, and you know... Be- much better than me because I'm not in the tech world around if you're going to build something actually you need a few you know like you need the yeah. creative ones you need people about process you need that customer design and that experience and actually you do you need some people to say I don't think this is going to work because of a b and c or actually yeah. clinically we do x y and z and and then you take all of that information good and bad and then you create your product and that's kind of and that's where we, that's how we've got to where we are so we've got I mean, we've got this amazing surgeon called Seema Almentrali, who is this amazing uh, female surgeon. She's working with Formula One to work out the distance between an individual having a crash and the hospital and what their chances of survival are. She's amazing. And she actually was, well, we were like, what we want to do is we want to pull in DNA data because we want to pull in DNA data so we can then work out what kind of condition someone might have to be able to look out for the markers if it happens in the system. So you might have a marker for Parkinson's, but you it might never affect you. But actually, you might get early signs of it. And what we want to do is try and see if we can pick it up at the really early root sign and work out and then start working back from that how we can try and support somebody. So this was kind of our original pipe dream of creating a system, not that we would use, but just a system that gathered the data and information that other people could, feed, could pull up from and build. And she went, right now, we don't have enough understanding and knowledge of dna to an extent to be able to do what you want to do and i would probably stay away from it because actually you might get yourself into a more tougher position i mean we had that and we've got those people around the tables and and i think what we've got is in our kind of our core team is we have people that are thinkers but we've also got people that are pragmatic and go well no what happens if that doesn't work and actually we're asking for this but what happens if, if we don't get that what happens if that doesn't work what happens if so we don't tell someone we think you've got it. We say, based on the data, this is what we're seeing. Okay. And that was a big shift from going, well, if we see someone having a heart attack, can't we just tell them to have a heart attack? No, it's like based on the data, something is not normal for you. 
it's not we don't know it's a heart attack you might just be going for a run or mm-hmm. i think it's, i think one of the, the scenarios we were given by somebody around the table was someone was wearing a fitbit or i think they were wearing a, a smart a smart watch and the system thought they were having a heart attack and actually they were when they yeah. looked at the data yeah we know the one <laughs> but it was <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know what I mean you kind of if you're looking at one data point in a station that's what you're going to see so you've got to look at more points <laughs> yeah okay. oh. so it's, it's kind of that so you're, you're kind of your question right at the top I think bringing health and social care under one banner if it's done right and it's done in a way that benefits the individual I think that is that would be amazing we shouldn't see all these things as separate entities. They should be seen as one, but it has to be a level of transparency and openness. And I have to fundamentally know that I am a part of that journey. And it's not for oh, what we, we think what's best for you. It's like, no, this is what we're doing. And it's your choice. And you choose that. And we can build a system. And I'm shown we can, but we can build a system where the individual has the choice and knows how to do that. so much for joining us and if you like what you hear it would be great if you could give us a shout out on social media you can find me on twitter at thc primary care on instagram again at thc primary care or on linkedin just look for tara humphrey and if you really like it it would be great if you left us an itunes a five-star rating and review and i will see you in the next episode